it was one of those things where as a kid, I didn't realize the impact of it. But as I grew older and realized that these are documentarians of history, I really realized the importance and the significance of Black media. So that's why I sort of call myself, I'm a product of this. It's something I strongly believe in and it's something I grew up in. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Kristen Carpenter here. Welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. We are about to offer you episode number 148 today, and it is a very special interview indeed, along with our guest, Aaron Foley, who I'm going to introduce more to you in just a second or so here. I'm also joined by a co-host today, one of my esteemed Verde Brand Communications colleagues, Alice Baker. Alice has been part of the Verity team and family for almost three years, and she just crushes it day in and day out here for our, our clients at the agency. She's been a key player on a lot of our clients and has stepped up to lead Verde's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal as an agency is to strategically deploy our reach and the reach of our clients to enable more people of color to feel welcome in the outdoors. Once a month going forward, we're going to be dedicating a show to just that, and Alice will serve as my co-host on these shows. You are going to love her. She is awesome. So for our first episode on this topic, I am absolutely honored to introduce our guest today, Aaron Foley. He is the absolutely perfect guest to kick off this series because he's taken the very important newly created position of director of the Black Media Initiative at Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. His work in this position is focused on improving revenue and sustainability of Black media outlets, and we will get into discussing some solutions that we can commit to in our specialty communities around just that. And prior to this position, he was a fellow at the John S. Knight Journalism Fellowship at Stanford University, where he served as one of 19 professionals for a 10-month residency at Stanford, where he and his cohort were assigned to research and innovate solutions in journalism. He's also been a journalist, of course, and served as chief storyteller for the city of Detroit, a position that was a mayoral appointment, which is a first for a city government in the United States. This guy does a lot of firsts, doesn't he? He was also editor-in-chief for Black Detroit Magazine. Aaron comes from a family that is deeply rooted in journalism as his mother was a reporter, editor, and photographer for the Michigan Chronicle, which is considered the oldest black newspaper in the country. Through his work and in his new role, he wants to ensure black media outlets are more sustainable and viable in the long run. 
He offers ways for brands and businesses to successfully reach broader audiences and also sheds light on how ARC specialty businesses can support Black media outlets and enable more people of color to feel part of our outdoor communities through media. Alice and I were absolutely honored to sit down with him for this interview today. So without further ado, here's the Aaron Foley interview on the Channel Mastery Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I have actually kind of a different format today to share with you. I have my colleague from Verde, Alice Baker, here with me today because we are kicking off a special series of the Channel Mastery Podcast with an awesome guest, Aaron Foley, who is the director of the Black Media Initiative at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism. Welcome to the show, Aaron. We are delighted to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm just going to go right into it because you have such an awesome background and so much for us to learn from. Can you give my awesome audience a great introduction of yourself with some background of your professional career and and just how you got into this amazing role. Sure. So I'm originally from Detroit, and I've been a working journalist in several capacities there, and that's my hometown. And so I've I've written extensively about the city, about its people, but I've also held roles as editor, as as manager. I was appointed as chief storyteller for the city of Detroit government. We're working directly in the mayor's office in which we incorporated storytelling into municipal operations. It was the first time something like that had been done in terms of not quite doing communications or public relations, but really just doing exactly what the role entails, which is telling stories about people, places, and interesting things about Detroit and hosting it on our uh, city government platforms, so our social media, our cable channels. We started a podcast. We started a photo series. It was very similar to Humans of New York, that sort of platform, but it was done in the mayor's office. So we got a lot of attention for that. And I did that for a while, and I left that position to do a fellowship at Stanford in the Bay Area. And right after that is when I approached the City University of New York here in Manhattan about a new role they had come open, um, which is where I am now, which is the director of the Black Media Initiative. I have being, I've always worked in journalism, but I've always told stories, uh, whether I was working for the city in the mayor's office or freelancing or editing a magazine, which I did briefly, um, working in digital. I've always told stories about Black Detroiters and and their contributions to our city, our world, what have you. But I've also been on the administrative managerial side of that. So I'm bringing a lot of those skills to this new role and I've started it in June. I moved to Brooklyn earlier in August. So it's just been a lot of change very quickly for me, but I'm excited to be here and really think of strategies and develop uh, programming for black media outlets across the country. And just going going off of your your background, you've said before that you're a product of Black journalism. Could you expand on on what that means and how that has influenced your career? Yeah, absolutely. So my mother um, used to work for an African-American newspaper in Detroit called the Michigan Chronicle. And she did that when I was really young. So I watched her as a kid be a reporter, an editor, a photographer, almost every 
role you can have um, at a small newspaper. And I got really interested in journalism myself. But what was special about what she did was the Michigan Chronicle was one of the oldest black news. It's the oldest black newspaper in Michigan, but it's also one of the oldest black newspapers in the country. And it specifically targets the African-American community. Not to say that your regular daily paper doesn't, but this, these publications definitely center the African-American experience. There's a lot of history behind that. These papers chronicled, as you know, the name is right there in the paper sometimes, these papers chronicle history, daily events, day-to-day happenings, per- different perspectives on, on civil rights and racism and tumultuous events that affected the Black community in their respective cities. And it was one of those things where, as a kid, I didn't realize the impact of it. But as I grew older and realized that these are documentarians of history, I really realized the importance and the significance of Black media. So that's why I sort of call myself, I'm a product of this. It's something I strongly believe in and it's something I grew up in. Yeah, definitely. That seems so important, especially this week and this month, seeing how that representation matters in the media. And kind of riffing on that, I was hoping you could also explain for our audience, what do you believe the state of Black media is today? It's definitely a genre that is that has unlimited potential. Being that we have a lot of younger millennial perspectives that want to bring their experiences, their values to journalism. What you're seeing now is newer startup outlets. There's one in North Carolina called Q City News. There's another one in Chicago called The Tribe. A lot of blogs, a lot of podcasts, um, um, like Very Smart Brothers and, and Another Round that used to be hosted by BuzzFeed, which is a podcast. You're seeing a lot of digital revolution with, with Black journalists enter, entering this space that has historically been characterized by newspapers. That said, Black newspapers are still very much vital and relevant in this space because they are, as I mentioned before, they are the documentarians of history. Where we're seeing some trouble is the fact that many newspapers, daily, weekly, or otherwise, whether they're mainstream or whether they're targeting a specific audience, they have been affected by the economic changes in the journalism industry, the digital transformation in the journalism industry. So a lot of the legacy Black newspapers are, have, have much smaller staffs to produce the kind of journalism that they were used to doing many years ago, they're not, they're not capable of producing that volume like they once were. So part of my role is to think of strategies, whether it's getting grant funding or steering more resources through the school at CUNY to these digital outlets so that they can continue to thrive And that. So all the Black media outlets, whether it's a newer one that just started, like a podcast or a legacy newspaper that's been around for 100 plus years, how do we ensure that those perspectives are being heard and that representation continues to matter. Definitely. That actually ties into my next question, which was if you could tell us a little bit more about your new position as the director of the Black Media Initiative at the Newmark Graduate School. Sure. I work within a center called the Center for Community Media. And our goal collectively at CCM is to increase the potential for community media, and that's defined as Latino media, indigenous media, Asian media, media that is geared towards immigrant communities, 
It can also include Jewish media, Muslim media, Catholic media, all of those niche papers that I describe it as whenever you're in a major city and you're walking through a busy intersection and you see a bunch of newsstands and then you might see your regular daily paper, but then you see those news boxes that have like different languages and, and, and different things and, and, and whatnot. All of those outlets are defined are what we define as community media. We have a specific initiative for black black media in terms of how do we make black media outlets more sustainable? How do we provide training opportunities so that black media outlets can compete with mainstream outlets? And how do we elevate the stature of black media to that of a mainstream newspaper? Within the industry, too often community news reporters and community news staffs are often marginalized. They do not get the same kinds of industry accolades or recognition or contribution for their work as your journalists that may work at like a CNN or New York Times or places like those. What happens though is that when you do have a lot of tension or or a a race-related situation comes up, like the many incidents of police brutality, Sometimes those larger outlets can get it wrong when they don't have, when they're, we're not, when they're not writing or reporting from the nuanced perspective of race. This is where those community outlets have always been there, is not only have some of these outlets always been reporting on race-related incidents and can, and can um, provide that nuance and that context that a larger paper can't, but when they do do those sorts of things, they get overlooked. So... What my role is, being that CUNY, the Newmark School at CUNY is very connected in the world of journalism with different organizations, with different grant funders, different foundations and things like that. What kind of infrastructure can we build so that we can be sort of a clearinghouse or a, or a support system for Black media outlets to lean on so that they can get the resources that they need to thrive and survive? It sounds like reach and resources are two primary challenges that Black journalists and, and Black media outlets face. So I was wondering, what do you think success looks like maybe in the near term and then maybe a little bit of a longer term, like in a year? I think in the near ter- term, we have to just create something that shows that Black media is here and it exists. I'd like to see situations where we see Black journalists working within those outlets get the same kind of speaking engagements and opportunities, those panel slots on the big cable networks, so on and so forth, as as their peers in mainstream media. Once The way we do that is right now our department is in the midst of producing a directory of Black media outlets. They're are several lists and spreadsheets and outdated directories out there. They're mostly incomplete, mostly outdated. We're trying to create something comprehensive so that we can, at the very least, build a network between Black media outlets that are smaller and independent and do not have as much reach and connect them with organizations, other media outlets that do. Once we do that, I think that will be a short-term success measure for us. A long-term measure I'd like to see is Black media outlets beginning to think about innovative ways of survival. Many of these outlets are still operating on a very outdated model of, of, of business when it comes to media. Talking, they're, they're selling ads and selling space in the newspaper in 2020 the same way they were doing in 
Whereas other digital startups, other more forward-thinking media outlets are getting towards better ways of creating revenue. I think along, I think if you, if I were to have any sort of long-term measure of success, it would be for black media outlets to innovate in that regard and look at their financials or their balance sheets for the next couple of years and say, we don't have to struggle as much as we were. We're actually bringing in the type of revenue that we're capable of bringing in. Definitely. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of long-term change that, that all outlets need to work towards. And so we work with outdoor brands and outdoor companies. And do you have any thoughts on how those brands we work with can be considerate of some of the challenges you mentioned when they're choosing to work with Black journalists and Black media outlets? Absolutely. So one thing is we there's always been talk about companies that advertise in Black outlets and companies that don't. One thing that historically Black press outlets have always struggled with is getting non-traditional advertisers. When you look in the classified pages or look in the back pages of a Black newspaper, it's typically stuff coming from local governments, politicians, churches, your local grocery store, your independent boutiques and clothing outlets and stuff like that. And rarely do you see big national brands who would normally advertise in a, in a, in a larger newspaper or, nor, or, or normally have commercial airspace on a, on a mainstream TV channel. If there are companies out there that would like to diversify their, their customer base or diversify their audience, a good first step would be placing an ad in a black newspaper. They have rates. They, <laughs> they have salespeople to handle that sort of thing. It would probably be a very similar conversation as with their sales rep as it would with any other sales rep. So that's one way. Another way is when folks are pitching media outlets, I would, one, be cognizant of, of diversifying your pitch pool, right? When you're sending out those email blasts, understandably working on both sides of this, I've been a journalist and I've also been in a position where I've tried to drum up interest in, in getting something, someone to cover something that we're doing. I do understand how overwhelming it is for journalists right now when they don't respond to every pitch, when they don't take, take every story that's, that comes at them. And it's frustrating for the, for the marketing folks, it's frustrating for those, those respective clients, and then there's just constant unhappiness and tension, right? But I would say that there, there might be opportunity in pitching some of those same stories to Black media outlets in terms of if there was an angle of those, sto- of those stories about Black customers or Black enthusiasts or, or, or just getting more Black people interested in a, in, in a certain thing, oftentimes those outlets are looking for those kinds of pitches. I know as someone who was an editor of a, of a magazine that centered the African-American experience, I was always frustrated when I knew that there was a hierarchy in how some of the PR agencies pitched at local outlets in Detroit. They always did the business publications in daily newspapers first. It would stagger out a press release if, there, if it was time sensitive. And the dailies would always get it first, then the TV stations, then the community news outlets. And those would include like the suburban papers, the weekly papers, and then the black um, media outlets. 
that was very frustrating to me in one regard because there was a specific incident where some there was some breaking news around a black museum in Detroit, but this museum had contracted with a larger PR agency and they used that same staggered strategy of, of staggering out the press release. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a real publication that has supported this museum for a very long time. Both us and the museum target black audiences, but we were last on the list, so we missed this breaking news. That to me should not happen. And that's why I would encourage folks working on the PR side to be thoughtful when it comes to that sort of strategy. That's great advice. And we've seen, I think, over the summer of 2020, a lot of the companies have tried to expand their reach into human resources and found different places to post jobs. And one of the things that I think we can provide through this Channel Mastery podcast would be um, a place for our uh, audience, the outdoor specialty markets, to be able to discover where they could pitch. Is that something they could find on your website or can you direct us to a resource? Not quite. So we are, because my job is so new and because a lot of the things I'm working with are so outdated, we have yet to build a website. (laughs) And that's like all of the how-tos and tips and tricks and and FAQs and, and all of that. However, I would encourage people to contact me. I'm pretty accessible all over Twitter. My email inbox is always open. I respond to pitches <laughs> because I do know the struggles sometimes. I'm pretty accessible. So yes, we can definitely talk more about it until that time comes when we have that solid resource to go to. And I had one last question to tack on and just to take this offline and then we'll go back on. Are you comfortable talking about how social media fits into your new role, Aaron? Is that something we could ask you? Because I think we might, we should have probably asked you about that last week, but now that we're talking I imagine that that's something maybe we want to hit on. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. We can talk about that. Okay. Alice, do you want to ask about that? Sure. Okay. Awesome. Okay. And one last question is how social media fits into your new role. There is definitely something to be said about how Black news consumers spread news, share news, and consume news through Twitter and through Facebook. One thing we'd like to analyze in 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 my role is is Twitter itself a news outlet, even though they're not classified as one, but because they are quite over-indexed with Black audiences, how do we classify Twitter as a news source? But also, so much as they are a, a, a well of information, they're also a well of disinformation and misinformation. What I'd like to, what I'd also like to see is us doing more analysis and research around how folks with the with 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 the worst intentions are intentionally misleading black audiences into believing certain things or or believing certain hashtags or, or things like that through the spread of misinformation and disinformation. It's pretty ambitious for a J school, a school of journalism to be thinking of this. But when it comes to the knowledge and susceptibility of marginalized audiences, it's definitely something we should be thinking more about. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And obviously we, we were able to uh, get in touch with you and have you on the channel mastery podcast right at the beginning of your tenure here. We can't wait to see what you do. And just so everybody knows who's listening, we will have links in our show notes, basically 
I think examples of some of your work, you have a TED talk, you have an amazing book. I love the title of, <laughs> will you share the title of your book, please? <laughs> Absolutely. The title of my book is how to live in Detroit without being a jackass. Yay. I can't, I personally am excited to check that out. And once your website is launched, you can count on us to promote that to our markets far and wide. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us here on the Channel Mastery Podcast. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. And thanks, Alice, for being my co-host here today. Of course. Thanks, both of you. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Music.